Hello, hello there. Hi, howdy. Welcome to the Playwright Repertory Podcast. My name is Sarah Lena Sparks, and I'm joined today by my alien co-host Mitchell Huntley. Hello. Oh. Hello. Mm. Earthlings. That's, a, that's the voice you decided on, huh? That was I was I was about to do my demon voice, but I was like, wait, that's not an alien voice. Demons aren't aliens. Maybe, maybe not. Do you believe know. that Ask there's the aliens, MCU. Mitchell? I feel like we're, we're, mer- we're merging two worlds together. Yeah. Do you believe that there's aliens? Uh, yeah, I feel like the odds are we're not the only ones in the Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Galaxy. Yeah. Uh, not the galaxy, the universe. I think... There might not become, be aliens yeah. in, like, this system, but there's definitely aliens, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like, I am not... I'm not, I'm not so self-centered where I'm like, we're the only species, no. you know? No, we are not alone. We are not alone. I believe that. You are not alone. All right. And talking about aliens, today we're going to be talking about style. Style. And how something to write the, our, Something the aliens style. couldn't understand about us, our style. <laughs> what if the aliens are like super stylish? Then that's something we don't understand about the aliens. Mm-hmm. One of us doesn't understand the other one's style. Mm. That's all I'm trying to say here. Okay. Well, today we're going to be talking about style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what does this mean in terms of playwriting, Mitchell? What is, what, what is style? What is playwriting? What is yeah, what is exactly. <laughs> so yeah, style is style is something I I I often think is more amorphous and hard to describe. Hey, something what well quote real quick, uh, please uh, please tell me what amorphous is for the dummies in the back. It means it doesn't have a definitive shape. Cool. I, so what I mean by that is that often it's hard to pick out and describe in words what your style is when it comes to your own writing. It's something often people can prescribe to you mm. and people other than yourself can talk about. But it's really hard to self-identify style unless you break it down into components, which we'll, we'll be doing today, um, at least for ourselves, like what we view our style as, which obviously is not something that we might be 100% correct because we're viewing it through a very biased lens. Yeah. And also the lens that we're viewing this from is pretty small. Yeah. Um, And a lot of the things that we talk about are viewed through small lenses. We cannot speak for everybody. We ourselves are still young and like figuring it out. We don't, you know, we don't have a grasp on everything yet. So take what we say with how you want to take it. Not too many, not too much salt. We don't want to get too... Not too salty. Our sodium levels shouldn't get too high. Not too salty. Not too salty. Not too salty. Whenever I cook, I like... I feel like in like salt, I, I don't understand. Like, I know when it's too much, but I don't know when there's not enough of it. So I just normally undersalt everything. I I think I often... Yeah, it's easy to tell when there's not... Now, I'm not saying that I cook like a white person who like literally just like boils like a chicken breast, but like I use spices. But like when it comes to salt, a chicken breast, I don't know. I don't know. But like, wow, when it comes to salt, I don't know like what like I'm not good at that. So I normally just undersalt my food. When steaming broccoli, it's very easy to do like, oh, that's way too much salt. But like, it's really hard to be like. Actually, it's actually easier when steaming broccoli to be like, that's not enough salt. It's, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I think it's bigger dishes that are harder to to get the salt content correct on it. Steaming broccoli. Fantastic. All right. So style. <laughs> uh, so we're going to kind of break down style into uh, different parts. Um, and that first part is probably the most, the like biggest part, especially for writers. Like this is the part that makes a style a style. And that is... Your use of language. Um, there are some playwrights. Watch your language. <laughs> huh? Watch your language. Watch your language. Yeah, I mean, like, the way that we use our words is what differentiates one playwright from another. Um, and I also just think that language is something that's, like, super fun that you can play around with, you know? Yeah. What do you, what do you have to say about language and style, Mitchell? I think language is fun. Mm-hmm. I, th- <laughs> I think... There's so many different ways to use language and how and I think it's always interesting to look at how language has evolved and mm. um, and wh- ways you can manipulate and utilize language to maybe get a certain time period or a certain I, I my mind goes to people trying to replicate like middle 
English or like Shakespeare by using mine and doth. Doth, yeah. sorry. Gotta use the the cup foul there. Um, but I think it's really interesting to see how you can use verse or, uh, I mean, most people use prose anyway, but I think using verse and I know if we're talking about more like just like how characters speak or more like how language is utilized rhythm wise and stuff like that. Um, Cause I think both are, all of it are, is very valid and very useful. I know a lot of, I've started to pick this up, um, but I know a lot of playwrights, especially young playwrights will often like make new, new lines in the middle of sentences to distinguish like important beats or how the rhythm of the sentence should go. And I've been taking that up uh, using, using that idea and seeing how that can work in my own writing. Mm-hmm. I think uh, language is just, it's something you can, you can have characters. I feel like I love stuff that's like culture clashes, like, or like clash of language where people speak in different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Often happens like time travel, but like time travel is a whole nother topic entirely. But the use of two different types of language, how people speak and that like culture clash, world's clash of utilizing language um, is something that can be just like very fascinating. It's very fascinating to me. Um, and I've been trying to do that in my own work. Um, I know Sarah's read a play where I have like characters who speak solely in iambic pentameter, but then other characters who speak not m- like modern, but like speak just like very prose, very contemporary to their time. But um, I think that it's very interesting to utilize that um, different language formats, like maybe verse or prose and utilize different figures of speech and modes of speech and just like trying to replicate different um ways people spoke in different time periods it's very interesting or yeah. people speak now because people speak differently in different places totally. all over people in pittsburgh say use there's just there's so many different ways or even can- just in your household like take account of like how you formulate sentences versus how your parents formulate sentences versus how your your siblings formulate sentences like everybody speaks differently and so that's something that it's so fun to play with in um a play when you're writing it because you really do get to be like how does this person get a thought from their head and like vocalize it and then also with your style it doesn't have to be like real like it doesn't have to be what we would say in real life the person that comes to mind for me when I think about this is I also just had to write an essay on one of her plays but like Sarah Rule for example who wrote Eurydice the Eurydice that everybody loves and adores and every high school does and like it's a great play I understand um but like Eurydice the clean house I was just reading melancholy play um Sarah Rule in her language it's so like specific to her and her work like you can tell immediately just by hearing it like oh that's a rural play um because of how she talks and how she uses poetry I mean Sarah Rule is a poet that's her background and you can completely tell through her work um one of the lines I was reading today in Melancholy Play it was like when people smile they have like bells between their teeth and every time they laugh you can hear it or something like that just something gorgeous and stuff and it's like that is her style and it's not necessarily real it's not how people speak but like it totally works for the play and it works for the character. And I think whenever you are like thinking about style and language, and this will be for whenever you're thinking about literally anything, it's always, how does this serve the story? Am I serving the story by using this style? Um, Which I think is like the main thing that you need to think about like because style is so fun but I do think sometimes we can get like really wrapped up in it but like as long as it's serving the story you can literally do whatever you want you know yeah TLDR you're whatever what you're writing about will dictate how you use language and stuff like that I I I I said dictate right so I already I'm leaning into that quote um Sondheim I mentioned to Sarah before we started recording I was like I'm going to mention Sondheim here but Sondheim has one of his um his like maxims is that content dictates form and that's just basically what it is is that and i'm sure i've mentioned it in a previous episode me editing this will be like oh yeah that was episode two or something episode probably episode two actually um but content does dictate form what you're writing about will determine the the style you use when you're um when you're writing it like 
like if you're writing about um, characters uh, who who are from an old time, you probably will use verse if you're writing. About, but you also don't have to. And that's like and that's a subversive thing. But that's also your whatever you use is often is based on is informed by the decisions you make for the story itself. Mm-hmm. So if you even if you have characters like from like um like middle ages, you might make them talk contemporary, but that's of course directed from the fact that that's what they are. Yeah. Using and it's like that subverting their makes, identity, but it's based in that first. Yeah, and that like makes me think of just because this is something that is accessible to most people like Hamilton, you know, that is such a distinct style in Manuel Miranda choosing to do it in like rap and like in that style. And he says, you know, it's because when he was learning about the far, the, the far, 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 the founding fathers, he was like, all these stories are like started from the bottom. Now we're here. Cause they reminded him about like rap and how rap is really the story of rising and rap artists are all about like, here's where I, I was and here's where I am now. And I like worked my ass off to get here and this is what happened, you know? And I think he thought that, oh, that totally resonates with the stories of the people who founded this country. Um, and so even though the style isn't historically accurate, obviously, like it is yeah. completely serving the story, you know? Yeah. And I, I always say like the historical examples because I'm a bitch for history. Um, but I yeah, you can you can find parallels, but it always will be based at least good writing is always based in what the story is about. Mm-hmm. And that's what, how you can, your style. And I, I don't miss it to be like pressuring people to be like, it's got to all be based in this. I mean, you can totally make something super like irreverent that doesn't actually have any basis in how they, and like what the characters are. But I think for me anyways, from what I, I see, it's often the strongest writing comes from, even when it's subversive and subverting what the uh, expectations are. It's of course based on those expectations, you have to acknowledge those expectations before subverting it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just moved my microphone. Wow, that's probably going to make a bad sound. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so we were talking about like, so that language was like about more about like dialogue. Um, and there's so much still in that that like we did not talk about, which we will continue to talk about because language is everything for a playwright. I mean, that's what you're doing. You're making language. Um but also let's talk about the stage directions and how that can like change up your style. I mean, stage directions are really like where you get to play stage directions. I love them. And I think they're just like such a wonderful tool for writers because you really get to say the things that you need to have happen and stage directions can have poetry. They can have this, you know, like uh, with all writing, you can literally do whatever you want with it. Um, and stage directions are just like a really interesting place to do that. And your stage directions with the style, I think, really set the style that you want the play to like come off as and like the tone that you want the play to like come off as. And it's basically stage directions are like the constitution to me for like writers of like listing the things that are there and that like can't really be changed. But, like, of course, there's other things that you can incorporate, you know? Yeah. That's a good analogy, Constitution. Thank One you. of the things I like about stage directions, and you can you can tell me if you don't like this, but I like it when stage directions have a voice. Mm-hmm, totally. Maybe that's just my 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 upbringing, but my, my... How much I've done staged readings where stage directions are read, but they become sort of an extension like their character in their own right i think of um and this is just something that i recently read we have a in a musical i'm working on we have a stage direction um we have a a line that says oh cool awesome it's super cool awesome great and then the stage direction says but it was not super cool awesome great i think just little things like that where where it um that's probably not even not a good example of like strong writing because that's probably that's unnecessary state direction should obviously be necessary um but i think there's oftentimes where you can you can strategically undercut a character um or a, a moment to let the actors and director know 
what you mean in a moment. Like, like, like actually that is a great example. Now that I think about it, cause the super cool, awesome, great, but actually they don't mean that. Mm-hmm. It's obviously not that. Yeah. And I think that it's, um, you can use stage directions as their own kind of sort of character in order to sort of be more descriptive and, uh, more descriptive and to show things that you often might not be able to easily um, see just through dialogue. I think it, I'm always an advocate of making what I love about stage directions is you get to be the playwright. Like I think you get to insert yourself in the story, um, which is like fun. Like it's like your own commentary on what's happening and I just think that's cool. Like, cause you know, us as playwrights, a lot of times it's like, okay, we write the thing and then you got to walk away at some point and somebody's going to take this and do what they want with it. And that's, that's the goal, you know, like the goal is that you are able to step away from it and somebody else keeps making art out of it, you know? Um, and so I think stage directions are fun. Cause like, I don't know, it's like you get to know the playwright a little bit more and the playwright also gets to like, kind of introduce themselves to the people working on the show. Like, I don't know. I think it's just, it's fun because yeah. Like if the playwright's not there, it's like, you still feel like you get to know them a little bit more, you know? Um, and I think the way that like people write their stage directions, um, it's just really interesting and what they choose to talk about and what they don't like stage directions don't have to just be about like what the set looks like and people exit here or they don't and they can if you want that to happen like you know also you can also literally yeah like make commentary about it and like you can be like really descriptive like not gonna toot my own horn but like I wrote a show and I was talking about one of the one of the men in the show and I was like oh he's like undeniably mediocre And it's like, for me, that was a joke, but it's also really telling of the character. And it's also telling of like who I am as a person and like my voice and my tone, because I think, you know, the worst thing that could happen to your play, I think, is probably getting misinterpreted. But I feel like when you have those stage directions, like it's it's really showing who you are like and that you're not, you know, and who you're not like there's this. One play, I forget what I was reading, but also some of, like, my own plays, I feel like some people interpret them as, like, really, like, dark and depressing and just, like, sad. And I'm like, I'm not that kind of person. Like, I like to think of myself as a fun person. And I feel like if I input that in my stage directions, like, people will know, like, no, this isn't all just, like, the world is terrible. Like, I'm also, like, a jokey person, you know? Um, I I don't know. That's just why I like stage directions, because I feel like it lets the writer be a little bit like more themselves. Yeah. The, the whole topic of, of plays being misinterpreted. We could have a whole episode on that. Mm-hmm. I could, we could go on a long time. I, I had a notorious incident of my um, play. I've had multiple times my plays getting um, interpreted wrong. I think I mentioned that once in the directing episode, but, um, but yeah, misinterpret. I think having a voice through the stage directions is important to not um, to maybe alleviate that problem a bit. One but only if I, you want to. Only if you want to. Only if you want to. Of course, you have to be comfortable with it. You can't. Don't do it if you're not comfortable. You with. can do whatever you want with your play, but yeah. stage directions will, are yeah. a wonderful tool. I will be a firm opponent, though, to being super prescriptive about your set or like your props or something like that, because I also think that you should have. Um, there should be some freedom, like artistic think, freedom. Yeah. Yeah, and I think some people, some people potentially read published scripts and say, oh. I need to include everything like the character does and like and moves around and stuff like that in my script. And I just want to make everyone aware that oftentimes those published scripts are using the I believe it's the um, the assistant, uh, the stage manager, actually, probably is what it is. The stage manager or the assistant stage manager, their notes on blocking. Like I think of like. I think of like our town where mm-hmm. I, I know there's like so many like, oh, Emily moves down stage right or something like that. And it's like, that's not something you should. I always had directors who said, just cross out every single stage direction. Mm-hmm. And that's sad because stage direction should have some part in it. But I feel like there's often this this uh, impetus to be really prescriptive about how characters move or where characters enter from that I think you don't need to do. I think you can say yeah. like so and so even Shakespeare was like, 
and enter so-and-so exit Malvolio or something like that. Yeah. It's just like, you can be, I think you could be a lot more, have a lot more attitude or character in your stage directions without being super prescriptive about set or movement. Yeah. I think a lot of like set and movement are for some of the other artists, you know, uh, this is my opinion. I know there are people who would like differ otherwise and even people that I respect, you know, who differ other, like who would think otherwise but like you know i think a lot of the stage directions i think they're really helpful for the actors um if you're if you're in my style at least i try to make them helpful for the actors and letting them peek a little bit more into the characters from my brain you know Mm -hmm. um and it's less about like oh what happens and then what happens like movement wise because like for me also i don't want to think about that and like i'll probably there'll probably be like (laughs) things that like contradict each other if I'm thinking about the movement you know um or like Mitchell and I were in a play um where the stage directions like we were talking about it with with the director of like the stage directions of like the set description like didn't fit and it's like it's like it's like it just didn't work because there was like it was supposed to have like two floors and somebody was like upstairs but they were also supposed to be like downstairs at the same time um and it just like the stage directions were literally like physically impossible. So I think for a lot of that movement stuff, I don't know. I'm lazy, so I don't really want to include it. But if that's your thing, that's your thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm just always an opponent of being too. You can. I feel like there's a thing that's too prescriptive. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mean, I, I can write a play. I think I wrote a play once where there was like maybe three like actual stage directions, of not not including like beats or pauses, which. I mean, I can get onto that. I'll talk about that in a second. But um, whereas like only like three stage directions and like the characters, they just talk. Or it, and I think what the big thing is that it leaves room for the actors and the director to create something. I think like if you want, if you have a super specific vision for how a show should look, I think you should include that stuff. But I think you should also always just err on the side of leaving some room for the director. And yeah. Uh, um, and I think actors. that, like, narrows down to, like, the main, like, playwright struggles. Like, how much of this is mine and how much is, is it not? You know, I think when you're writing a play, it's hard to see it like this, but it is an invitation rather than it's, like, a complete blueprint, at least to me, you know? Mm-hmm. It's more like, hey, let's build this thing together rather than you're building this my way and my way is the only way. Because it's like, at that point, write a book, you know? <laughs> Um, where nobody else would get their hands on it. I mean, if you like theater and you want to be a playwright, like it's about collaboration and it's about people interpreting your work and like, you're not going to be there for all of them, you know? You shouldn't be there. I yeah, you be. shouldn't be there. You shouldn't, you should want to not be there, you know? Yeah, you should have the opportunity to be there, but not be there. Yeah. Unless you're Luminol Miranda and, and you're in it, in which case you probably should be there because you're supposed to be an actor in the show. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, things are going to happen, but we don't have control. Like we have to, we're not gods. We have to like, even though we made this universe, you're not the god of the universe, actually, unfortunately. I know. Which probably contradicts other things that I've said on this podcast, I mean, but whatever. I would say when it comes to. Oh, I was about to make a super obscure reference, but when it comes to you are you are God when it comes to um, creative team decisions and um, like once the script once your show is being done. If you're also, there, if you're there, if if you're if you're there, right? But mm-hmm. um, but you also, I feel like you should be a God that maybe takes a step back and let's let's the you should be a deist God. I was going to say deist God, but I felt like people wouldn't understand what that meant. Oh, and damn. I was like, Thomas Jefferson, David, David, Thomas Jefferson uh, would uh, would uh, like that reference. He would be he'd be typing in his, his uh, Apple podcast review and saying, I love the reference to deism. But- OK, deist <laughs> gods, by the way, are it's like the belief that like God created the universe and then like hands up, left it alone. He's like, well, that's that. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't like interfere with life at all. So that's kind of sometimes like what a playwright should be. Yeah, that was the, that was the obscure reference. What are we even talking about? Style, style. style. Yeah, I I was I was gonna mention my beat on my, my beat my tangent on beat and pause. I use them. 
I'm trying to find creative ways to not use them. I feel I, like I, I don't think you need to not use them. I think they're like or use them uh, more infrequently because I, I often find that as a, as a bit of a crutch for me that I'll be like, oh, I need a dramatic pause in this moment. So I'll go beat. beat. Yeah. And I think that's so overdone. Um, I, I don't I feel like know, that's, though. That's like, overdone. I feel like I want I, I there's creative ways I've been thinking of. I've been and I've been utilizing for characters to have a beat where if, if someone has a beat and then keeps talking, I will often put the other character in there, put dot, dot, dot to show that whatever strategy the character, the, the speaking character was using didn't work. That's that's what I, I'll try to do that now. I'm, I'm That's what I've been trying to do, at least now to make it so at least they're aware it's more more creative and more I feel like shows the 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 bare bones of theater where it's someone trying to get something and the strategy not working so they have to keep talking yeah I have a funny story about beats because one time I wrote a show for um like a choir concert where I, I was a part of this choir concert and um the director really wanted me to write like a play that like would thread all these songs together um, and it was like a Christmas concert, you know, it was a good, jolly good time. Um, but I wrote like beat in the script and then the accompanist was like reading the script cause she wanted oh, no. to know like where she entered, like oh, no. where the song started and stuff. And she's like, she got so worried because she saw beat and she's like, Oh my God, didn't I need to get a drummer? And I was like, no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. That literally just means that the actors take a quick break. Um, yeah, that's, that's just so a funny, funny story. Um, but what you're saying about like beats and stuff, like I recently read top dog underdog by Susan Laurie parks, fantastic playwright, by the way, probably like one of the best like living playwrights we have she has a pulitzer prize or i actually don't know i don't know she has a pulitzer prize i think she was at least finalist i think she won not for sure but um yeah she is excellent she also just wrote the screenplay for um what is that the u.s once again this show is just me like vaguely remembering things um the new billy holiday movie she just wrote um, the screenplay for that. So I'm very excited to watch that. But um, in Top Dog Underdog, instead of having like beat, she has just the characters' names. And then in the introduction, she says whenever there's a character's name that's not followed by dialogue, it's like a moment of like like transcendence or like a moment of like realization, which I thought was really interesting. And I've never seen that before. I like that. She also has a pretty distinct style. It's wonderful. Everybody should read Susan Laurie Parks. Yeah. I think, and that, that gets to another thing, which is formatting. And I think you can go to town on formatting. I know, I know, I think Sarah and I are probably more traditionalists when it comes to formatting. Here's plays. the thing. I'm a, for, I'm, I'm a traditionalist for formatting simply because I am lazy. Like, that is the way that the software that I type into just does it, and I don't want to think about it. And what software is that? That is Scrivener. But also, for me, for formatting, I keep it traditional because I frequently submit my plays to competitions, and they often ask for very traditional formatting. So I just, like, keep it like that from the beginning, you know? Yeah. I, I, I see a lot more plays nowadays though, that are breaking from tradition. and I Totally. And I, I think that's actually a good thing. I yeah. I feel like I've I I've had a sort of not epiphany, but like a Scrooge like moment where I've I I have started uh, playing around with new types of formatting. I've I've ditched the Courier New in favor of Garamond. Um, I have also ditched Courier New just in favor of Times New Roman. So I don't know if that's better or worse. <laughs> I, and I'm sure, I think we've talked about this. I think we talked about this in our formatting episode. Yeah, we had a whole episode on it. We have a whole episode. Go listen to that. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I know, I'm sure that one I was like, always use Courier New, all that stuff. But I honestly, I think, I think I'm viewing, We're older I'm doing, and wiser I'm doing now. a script, a, 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 like reading a script as a work of art now, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's causing me to look, look at the more visual aspects of yeah. the, um, the writing itself and how um how it's laid out and how what it looks like fonts and all that and i think si- oh oh text size is also something i've been playing around with as well i think yeah um sylvan oswald has some really interesting formatted plays same with um our dear 
Dead Drug Lord by Alexis Shear. That formatting is very interesting in which all the characters are like put on the every single page and like they're always like constantly overlapping each other. Um, I think it's also on like New Play Exchange. So if you have access to that, you can read it. But highly recommend because if you want to talk about formatting i mean like that play is just like the way that it like it's formatted with teenage energy which i appreciate so much you know you know i want to see yeah. I, I know this is a uh, weird off track i want to see a play written in cornell notes style mm. Ooh, or, you should or, do that that's super interesting that that's just i, I just thought that now or like i thought of like one where it's like if there's at least few enough few enough characters to have like basically just a table goes all the way down and it's just like stage direction character 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 and they each that that way i can imagine like overlapping dialogue and stuff like that yeah no no our dear dead drug lord is like that it's a table with all the characters and they're on every page um and it's like you have to like read it like horizontally and vertically it's really crazy but it's super good yeah like that's that just sounds so much more interesting i think there's that's, there's so many cool aesthetic and formatting choices that can be taken. I feel like we we didn't really do them enough justice in our in our formatting episode. Go listen to that because we won't talk more about formatting. I think, but um, I feel like there's so much pl- playing around with the traditional formatting that it becomes sort of an art in itself. Oh, totally, um, totally. I think that's well so, because we're so reading plays now and not just watching them because we have access to reading plays. I mean, game changer. You know. Yeah. And because we can't really have plays, yeah, uh, at least for another month, um, here in here in the states, if you're in New Zealand, I'm really jealous of you, and yeah. Australia, I'm really jealous of you. I mean, even though even when the theater opens in a month, though, like I don't know if I want to go. As long as we're all masked, yeah. I'll go when I'm vaccinated. I'm 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 already halfway there. Um, Damn. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, I um. I yeah, so style and formatting, something super cool, but basically just always make sure that you're, like, serving the story. Yeah, it always has to serve the story. Even if it looks interesting, it looks it'll look interesting and also serve the story. Um, music. Music. I We've mean... We've talked about music before. I feel like we're, like, it's a culmination episode, like, previously yeah. on WandaVision. I mean, because um, everything is really about, like, everything that we talked about is really about style. Like, this episode is also just really the tip of the iceberg, you know? Um, but for music, I think it's fun, including music in your like stage directions if you want to, because music so clearly sets the tone of a show, you know, um, it's just abundantly clear what you would like to show the be to be when you include music in it, you know? Yeah. I, I had a play that was set in like cold war hysteria and stuff like that. And I, I set, I think I utilized, um, I don't know if it was even intentional, but I think I brought it up at one point and it ended up in the script, but I utilized like war, um, the song war. What is it good for? War. Uh, by Edwin Stark. What it, is it good for? Absolutely, absolutely nothing. nothing. Say it again. No. If you've ever um, seen Agent Cody Banks 2 at the end of that movie, <laughs> they sing that song and it like changed my life. Okay, sorry. That's a throwback. Agent Cody Banks 2. Agent Cody um, Banks 2 with the girl from S Club 7. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, and that, that helps set the mood at like a Cold War thing. Otherwise, people read the script and go, oh, it's like modern day. Why don't they have cell phones? Stuff like that. But I think, which was a whole nother, that, that, that play was a bit of a mess. Um, but I think it's, it was a fun exploration. I think music really helped like aid the, the, the world building and like the mm-hmm. sort of the universe of the play. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about this one Annie Baker play where she makes the audience sit through like a 12 minute song indulgent for my taste for, I don't know, but, um, that's very sacrilegious. You know, Annie, ba- Annie Baker is, is a uh, huge in the theater community. Huge in the theater movie community, but I still think, I don't know, me personally. 12 minutes is pretty indulgent. 12 minutes, like, okay, so, like, for me, when it comes to, like, timing of things, I'm really, like, opinionated on things. Like, Marvel movies, like, that's why I loved WandaVision, because I don't want to sit through, like, three hours of a Marvel movie ever again. Like, WandaVision is perfect for me, you know? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's a little indulgent for me, but, like, yeah, music is just a huge way to, like... 
put that in. I don't know, Mitchell, you're more of the like musician. Like, do you have any other? It's pretty indulgent. I'll, I'll give that. It's, I mean, if music be the food of love, play on, but, um, uh, but at one point you're going to get full. (laughs) Damn. That is the, to, to quote, to quote, um, Raymond Holt from BI9, the perfect retort. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, but yeah, I think a play that I love and, and great playwright too, very, um, um, a player that's being noticed more and more is, uh, Cambodian rock band. I mean, Lauren Nee is Lauren like nee. so amazing. Like it's I can't so even amazing. express my love for Lauren Nee. This is basically the the Lauren Nee like fan club. We love Lauren Nee. We will not take you? any Lauren Nee slander in this podcast. Um, but the Cambodian rock band features live performance, um, live um, like performance in the middle of the show it's it's semi-diegetic yeah i mean like that's like one of those like plays with music because the the characters are musicians so yeah content dictates form yeah yeah that 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 show premiered i think right at south coast repertory yes it did premiere at south coast repertory we were there yeah we saw it and the power went out and so we watched the last couple minutes and like just like the power generated, like the power generator, backup generator, lighting, fluorescent the, the lighting. The were in their street clothes because yep. they thought they weren't going to go back on. Yeah, they literally changed it out of costume because they're like, oh, cool, show's over, we're going to go home. And you really couldn't hear them from where we were sitting. It was uh-huh. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's, that's an example of a, of a play play with music that has it sort of embedded in the story, less, less like saying, oh... Uh, War by Edwin Starr is in this. Um, yeah, I mean, Cambodian Rockman has its own like album on Apple Music, and it slaps. I'm just gonna say mm-hmm. it, it slaps, and <laughs> yeah. So I think there's, and there's of course we have an episode on that with um, Benjamin ben Suskind. Um, I know I said Benjamin. Ben Suskind. I mean, I call um, him Benjamin a lot, so I, I don't. Yeah, I do you. call him Benjamin a lot, but only when I'm scolding him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not even when I'm scolding him, but. I think there's, you can use music or you can not use music, but there's so many ways you can, um, you can find uses for music in Mm -hmm. your play, whether that be world building diegetically, non-diegetically just for, for kicks. Yeah. Uh, I think there's just so many ways you can utilize music. Yeah. I mean, this episode is probably a part one of like a part, lots of parts, because there's just so many episodes, like everything revolves around the stuff we talk about in this episode. Yeah, there are so many things that happen with style that, you know. Yeah. So let's talk about so we've already discussed some. So let's talk about some playwrights with distinct style. So you can like kind of understand what we're talking about when we say style. So uh, I have a list here. Mitchell, please add if you feel. Um. (laughs) Obviously, like I talked about earlier, Sarah Rule, I mean, her style is just like so distinct and gorgeous to me. For me, her style really hits like home in my heart. Um, It's very effective for me personally as a reader, but that's not for everybody. Um, Some other very big styles, Mamet, you can't see, but my eyes are rolling because he's like definitely not a good person. But um, (laughs) I mean, he has a whole kind of like style named after him, which is Mamet Speak. You know, yeah. Fast paced, um, yeah, like that kind of like Aaron Sorkin-y kind of. I was about to mention Aaron Sorkin is also someone I would mention for the distinct style, Um, because Sorkin has the. I like it's been parodied over and over again, but the ping pong dialogue, um, the I feel like that's 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 the hallmark. I think people often utilize that a lot, like the the back and forth dialogue. I think I try to. I've, I've been told like one of my plays where it's just like two characters going back and forth at each other is very Sorkin-esque. And I was like, yeah, I mean, cool. Mitchell's plays will be 90 pages in 45 minutes. So that's very true. I will have characters talk very fast. Yeah, I, I think I, I put that like when I were reading one of my plays or I was like, just say it fast. Yeah. Just go or through like, no um, air, nowhere. Or like um, Amy Sherman Palladino, who is a showrunner of Gilmore Girls and Marvelous Miss Maisel also has this similar similar writing style, you know. Yeah. Um, um also we have in here Chekhov. 
Chekhov. I mean, he's like it, you know. <laughs> I mean, when you think about contemporary theater, I think he kind of really just changed the game. Yeah. Chekhov is a lot about what is not said versus what is said, and that's a style, you know. And that's very much modern. I think a lot of times people have a lot of subtext mm-hmm. in their work. Um, I I could go on. I I I oft I I don't know if I like don't subscribe to that, but I definitely feel like I want to counterreact that with like characters that say what they feel and have the attention there. Yeah. As opposed to the, I think it leads to more self indulgent acting. My opinion. Um, subtext. I people completely feel, understand. People what you're internalize saying. a lot more than they, than they're, I feel like people, when characters say what they want and that just leads to tension, it actually leads to more productive scenes and like character and like, um, group work and like scene work. Whereas I think with self-indulgence, I feel it's very self-indulgent, a lot of subtext work. I mean, you obviously use both. Both characters reveal what they say and characters use subtext, but I, I tend to lead more in the ratio towards characters say what they want. But that's just Yeah, that's me. interesting what you say about like what the acting and that's style also, leads to. I also, I, I get that from the next person on our list, which is Shakespeare. I think that's something that Shakespeare is like, characters will tell you what they feel. Yeah. They will say it. They play on and both your subtext, houses. F you. <laughs> that's that's usually like their objective or their super objective is like that's what their their subtext in a lot of the things they do. They're more deceptive, I feel like, but they're still saying stuff. Mm-hmm. They're not like, hey, and that means my dog died the other day. Yeah. And now I'm sad. <laughs> or like it's it fine. The kind of thing that I do when I'm like upset and I want somebody to snuff it out, where I'm like, I'm fine. It's like clearly you're not. Just tell me what you want, bitch. You know. <laughs> and I, yeah, I'll speak in like shorts. I'll speak short things. I'll instead of typing okay with okay, I'll just go okay with like two, Mitchell. Two when letters. Mitchell's upset, he doesn't use capital letters. That's so true. I don't he use even uses letters. style when he's just like everyday texting. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah and that's something I feel like people don't notice. Where I'm like, I'll start typing and just like, it's gotten worse now that I got an iPhone. But like. Like when when it was an Android, it would always try to capitalize my like my shit, and then mm-hmm. I would it would be an active choice to it. Now like I'll forget that. Oh wait, I got to capitalize. Otherwise, some people some people who actually know, know me really well will be like, "Are you okay? Is everything yeah. okay?" You because, know like, what I though? I really turn- appreciate it because you're telling me you're really telling me like I'm not okay right now. Like when you don't have like your capitalized letters, it's a very yeah. clear marker. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a, it's my it's my flare going. Yeah. Something's yeah. wrong. I appreciate that because you know we need we all need to get better at like just saying we need help when we need help. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, Shakespeare. I mean, like obviously his style is like he's the setter of style. You know. Yeah. Um, his style is so distinct, even huh. though he switches. You know. He does. He also doesn't always write alone. I think that's something people forget. Mm-hmm. He he wrote a lot of stuff with other people too. Yeah. Um, and he's he's very much in his time. Like I took a I took a Renaissance. I took a Renaissance. Uh, yeah, I mean course. Marlon Brando isn't that far off from like some Shakespeare stuff, you know. Yeah, but um, Shakespeare wasn't. Oh my God, if I say Shakespeare was unique, I was about to get canceled. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shakespeare was also a product of his times that's a lot of plays are very similar yeah like that was the style you know like you might not think you're writing in style but you're just writing in the contemporary style people will look back and be like oh you wrote like that person and you'll be but you'll be long dead but yeah you'll you'll have written what you (laughs) think you'll be long dead (laughs) you'll be long dead you'll be rotting we'll all be long dead you'll just be bones Well, the, the the earth will be swallowed whole by the sun, and uh-huh. your work will mean nothing. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> and the aliens, oh my God, and the aliens will the be aliens studying will your style, your work, and go, what is English, or whatever language you write in, because people write in other languages, and I shouldn't be super um, focused on English. Um, Jean Paul Sartre wrote in French, anyway. Um, so did so did um, so did Samuel Beckett. I mean, Chekhov literally was in Russian. Yeah, Russian. Um, but yeah, Popka. I think. Sorry, where, where, were we, where were we before we talked about the inevitable heat death of the universe? Um, <laughs> Shakespeare and like Shakespeare. You, you write in the style yeah. that you're living Shakespeare in. Shakespeare wrote just in the style that people around him. I think he just crafted better stories yeah. or had better like characters, better motivations, and I think he had better craft probably. But I think. 
I don't know where I was going with that, but I think there's just like, um, they have distinct styles, but often they're a product of their times. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of ping pong dialogue now that's maybe that was influenced by Sorkin. Or maybe that's just because we're, our attention spans are a lot shorter now and we have to have that, um, instant, um, we don't instant, use language like, the same, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. Do you want to talk about how do we use style and like, I think we already said like how does style serve the story, but do you want to talk about how you use style or not? I feel like we have, I yeah. feel like we've talked a lot about it in each individual aspect. I think that's easier than talking about, um, our, just what we believe our, like I said in the beginning, like yeah, we're going to talk totally. about our style, but it's probably going to be easier to do it compartmentalized. And I think, I think it's easier to talk about the way we approach these individual parts of style. Yeah. So uh, you want to move on to the game? Yeah, I think. And, and, and just, to, yeah, I think. They, well, we, we can, can close and then move on to the game. Yeah, I, th- I think just the big thing. It, and we mentioned it earlier at the TLDR. But at this point, you've already listened. But content dictates form. Mm-hmm. What Whatever you decide to do for style will ultimately result in a reaction to or furtherance or subverting the content in which you're writing. Mm-hmm. And I think um, even if you decide to go just like completely like balls to the wall, something completely crazy, it's that's still a decision that's should be arguably rooted in what you're writing about. And it is a reaction to it. And I think that that shouldn't be lost whenever you're, if you feel stuck for instance, and you're like, maybe it's the style for, or maybe it's the content, maybe it's the style. Look at if the style in the form is serving your story. And if you don't think so, maybe spice it up a bit. Maybe change your career to Garamond, but that'll mm. solve it. But maybe that will. Maybe that will that will give you the the um the spark you need. I think I feel like we often get stuck on like, I don't know what the character wants in the situation. I can't haven't thought through every single person's mindset in this moment. But I think there are ways that you can actually but while while style should be reaction to content, content can be reaction to style as well. Totally. And I think that you can utilize both um, to manipulate the other in ways that I think can help you help you write a really like strong coherent play. And while it's good to look at, I feel like we talked about that a bit. But mm-hmm. plays, while they well, should be performed, they can also be fun to read as well. Yeah. Yeah. You phrased that better than I would have. I don't think I actually phrased it that well, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, now that we've talked about style, are you ready for a game? Oh gosh, so, oh, just a context. Sarah made this game. I don't know what this game is, and I'm going to be answering for once in my damn life. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Playwright Repertory Podcast game. Uh, the game part of the show. I, I didn't know where I was going over there, but hey, hey, hey. And Mitchell, come on down. Um, welcome to this game show hosted by your one and only answer all in us. Today's guest, we have Mitchell. How are you feeling today, Mitchell? Nervous. And that's all we have time for from Mitchell. All right, so now we're going to go into our game. Um, so today we talked about style. And now we're going to talk a little bit more about style. This oh, game is titled, We Never Go Out of Style. Wait, I sang that wrong. Wait, wow, you got like... that James D. Daydream look in your eye and I got the red. I think you got it almost right. We never, never go, go out, out of, of style. style. We never go yeah. out of style. Of style, uh, written and performed by well, not performed this time, but written by one and only Taylor Swift. Um, today's game is called "We Never Go Out of Style." Mitchell, do you have any guesses of what this is going to be about? Am I about to get roasted on my lack of style? You're not going to get, you're not going to get roasted on your lack of style per se, but your lack of style knowledge for sure. Um, so Mitchell here. We love him dearly. Does not keep up with pop culture at all. Oh, no. But you do love history. So I, I was do, thinking... I I'm wearing a lot of... Uh, by the way, speaking of my out of style, I'm wearing mostly Old Navy stuff today. Hey, but Old Navy does stuff in style. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I'm wearing a lot of, like, old Old Navy stuff. No, but, okay. I, I see what Mitchell's wearing. Basics. Basics are always fine. 
basics are always fine. Um, I would, I don't look at you and think that you're like out of style. I just don't think you're like in like the high fashion style, which is totally cool. I, on the other hand, I love fashion. I love choosing my clothes. I love buying clothes. I think it's fun in a fun way to express yourself. Um, yeah, so I enjoy clothing, and today we're going to be talking about clothing, and I know that you don't know pop culture, and I wanted to be nice to you, so this is a little bit more history, pop culture history, which hopefully you can answer better. Mm -hmm. Uh, today's game, like I said, is called We Never Go Out of Style, and I'm going to be asking you questions about, like, trends, and I will give you options, and you have to say who in history, like, was one of the first people to really, like, make these trends like famous okay you know um so for example if i said I'm trying to think of one that's not on this list um if i said like who trended the like tiny glasses tiny sunglasses you still don't know the answer but it would be like Gigi hadid and like kendall jenner i'm screwed okay 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 but okay i'm not using that many like contemporary people like these are some older people who made these tiles okay 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 maybe you got this all right all right first question who was the first queen of bringing extra to fashion and by extra i mean like jewelry and like things that are just like much too much and like fancy fabrics and all of that so we have a madonna B, Queen Elizabeth I. C, Catherine the Great. D, Empress Eugenia from France. Um, I feel it's not. I feel like it's not Madonna because that's the one outlier, and the rest of them are European monarchs. Uh, <laughs> I wrote you like an SAT style question, saying if you could get it, you know. Wait, you wrote me an SAT style question. Just like so I gave you an outlier to like. Put away. Okay, so that one was one I can get rid of. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not as uh, mean as you. I feel like it might be Catherine the Great, only because I don't remember in history Elizabeth the, Elizabeth the First um, being like ostentatious with. Although, I, I I think I remember Catherine the Great wanted to. She was, she followed, um, least, or she, she either instigated or was followed by, uh, Peter, um, with European, trying to be like your really European monarchs. And I feel like that comes with bling. So I think, I'm thinking it's Catherine the Great. You think it's Catherine the Great? No, I'm not so sure. No, I'm just saying, like, are you locking yes, that that's in? Yes, that's my answer? answer. And that is. it's wrong it is in fact queen elizabeth the first and i I was so close i actually put a hint in the question i said who was the first queen of bringing extra to fashion and she was the only one who's technically a queen because both catherine the catherine the great was a czarina and uh eugene was an empress um, yeah, so it's Elizabeth I. I mean, she wore super fancy fabrics, fancy jewelry, and everybody wanted to be her style icon, one of the OGs. Okay. Yeah. Are you ready for the next question? I don't know. Give it to me, though. All right. Who was one of the first style icons to bring menswear to women's fashion? Is it A, Elizabeth Taylor, B, Marilyn Monroe, C, Audrey Hepburn, or D, Coco Chanel. I actually know this one. It's Audrey Hepburn. Wow. It's actually Sorry. both Audrey Hepburn and Coco Chanel. They can both be accredited to bringing menswear to fashion. Coco Chanel, a little bit more because she actually made the clothes. Like, she was responsible for, like, bringing those clothes because she's, like, a designer, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, I might be wrong. I might have just made that up in my head. But from what I read, like Coco Chanel is a little bit more influential in that she like physically brought those clothes to people's homes. Like Audrey Hepburn just like wore them, you know. But yeah, both of those are acceptable answers. Uh, Coco Chanel, fun fact, is also one of the first like big like uh, clothing makers to introduce the fabric of Jersey. Huh. Very interesting. Very interesting. All right. You ready? Give me. Give it to me. 
who is one of the first black style icons to sport color, bling, natural hair, and everything wonderful about being a diva? Is it A, Dionne Warwick, B, Diana Ross, C, Patti LaBelle, or D, Gladys Knight? Sorry to laugh at uh, thinking of of, uh, Dionne Warwick show. Uh, The... The um um can I get can you get the options again? Mm-hmm. A. Dion Warwick. B. Diana Ross. C. Patty Labelle. D. Gladys Knight. I think it's Diana Ross, but I'm not entirely. I'm not. Ding 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 ding. Oh yes. <laughs> Diana Ross is a total style icon. Nothing but love for my for my president, Diana Ross. Um, her kids are also super cool. All right. Uh, next question. Who is the lady lady? Who is the lady responsible for the little black dress? One of the most iconic items of clothing anybody can own. Timeless. Always looks good. Is it A, Elizabeth Taylor? B, Marilyn Monroe? C. Audrey Hepburn, D. Coco Chanel. You gave me the same the same choices. Um, little black dress. I I want to say. I feel like it wouldn't be Coco Chanel again because I feel like that would be because she's about what it. Well, now I'm not sure. <laughs> you can't just do that to me. And um, uh, let's see. Um, I would, I think it's either Marilyn Monroe or Elizabeth Taylor, but I don't think, Marilyn Monroe. Girl, it's Audrey Hepburn. Have you ever, like, (gasps) Breakfast at Tiffany's Little Black Dress? Oh, damn, you're right. Oh, my God. I can't believe I, I forgot about that. Uh, Mm. I was like, I can't picture, I was like trying to remember, I, I automatically wrote off Audrey Hepburn because she was the answer last time. Uh, I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. You shouldn't have done it. All right. You ready for the next question? Now I'm two for four. I'm even now, so. You ready for the next question? Yeah. Okay. Who is credited with being one of the first to blur the lines of gender in their style? Is it A, David Bowie, B, Billy Porter, C, Harry Styles, D, Prince? Okay. So... I'm automatically gonna get in, um, cross out Harry and um, uh, Harry and Billy Porter because those they're they're also um, because they were after Bowie and Prince. Um, I'm trying to think. I think it's Bowie, but I don't know if Prince was first. One of the it's one of it's one of those two. Uh, lock an answer in. Lock my answer in. I I also think I think Bowie stuff was. At least, like, I'm going to say Prince. You're locking in Prince? Should I not be? No, I just ask you to confirm every time. (laughs) I'm going to lock in Prince. All right. Trick question. It was both Bowie and Prince because they are kind of contemporary. Can I get credit for saying it's one of those two? Yeah, no, I think you win. Yeah. Well, like, you don't win win. the game, but, like, you win that. You win that question. That that question was totally right. Yeah. Um (laughs) Both David Bowie and Prince, just wow, what amazing artists who have s- contributed so much to art. Um, truly fantastic. My mom went to a Prince concert and she crashed. She snuck out, went to a Prince concert while she was like a rebel in the 80s, then came back home and crashed the car. But she like got it work. She got like got it like fixed without her parents knowing. And like one day, like in recent history, I was with my mom and like her mom, my Lola, and I was talking about when my mom crashed the car and my mom like she was like, Shut up, she doesn't know about that yet. And I'm like Lola doesn't listen to the podcast, right? Oh no, 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 go, no. Go, 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 go. But yeah, that's a little fun fact. Um All right, are you ready for the next question? How many questions are there? But yeah. This is the last one. This is the last one, okay? Okay. Your yours yours normally have like ten questions. This is not ten questions. Okay. Have five, but yeah. Okay. All right, so this one is about me. All right, uh, what era of fashion am I the most inspired by? 
knowing what clothes I like to wear and what clothes I like to buy? Is it A, the 90s, B, the 80s, C, the 70s, and D, the 60s? I believe it's more 60s. Um, but I think there are some 70s influences. I actually, or is this a trick question? It's all of them, but just like different levels. It's not a trick question. It's a single answer. Okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm torn between 60s and 70s. Because I, I, I don't know, because I'm also thinking of the hallmarks of each one. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like influenced by both. I'll give you a hint. I'm influenced by both of those, but one of them more. I'm going to. OK. OK. Because, yeah, I'm going to say. I'm going to say 60s. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, I, I figured I also I, I picture you where I picture you dressing like almost like Paddington Bear. And I think of like the kind of like not like. Like bucket bucket hat, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like nice, nice dress. Um, I don't know. I th- I get sixties vibes. Yeah, I feel like seventies is very is very like disco, and I don't think that's what you. Sixties like is like a, a little bit more like preppy, but like cute. preppy, preppy, like but like subtlety. I think. Yeah, but and like cute and colorful. So yeah, definitely the sixties influence me more. But I also like wearing seventies, kind of like inspired, but not totally seventies. Eighties and nineties, I hate the fashion. I know that's a really unpopular opinion. I know people love the nineties so much, but, like, but I think the clothes are really body. ugly in my opinion. Yeah, I I I think like the hallmarks. Nineties is like grunge, I think, and like. I don't, I don't. Or just like low cut jeans is not for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think like eighties. I think of like I think of like like um, people in like exercise videos. That's where I think, but that but like make it the entire the entire fashion culture. Yeah. It's like yeah, it's like I don't know if the eighties like hair is like horrific to me. Meanwhile, mine is like my my style is eighty year olds. Yeah, because uh, yeah. I dress like an old man. You even like bring up your pants like all the way. Up. Hey, me and Obama can have our mom jeans any day. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay, okay. Well, that is the game. That was we never go out of style. Out of style. How did you like the game that I cur- curated I, I, created? I feared it for good reason, but I you know I won. So I think I, I think I did really well. You did no do nuts. really well. No nuts, no nuts. I also didn't make it impossible for you. You make some you games you that didn't. are you impossible. You made it probably easier than I, I should have. You probably made it easier than I really thought of it as. I, I should have gotten Audrey Hepburn twice. That, that should have been really clear for me. I mm-hmm. should have remembered Breakfast of Tiffany's. That was on me. All right. Well, that is the show. If you enjoyed this show, either we got other ones. I've got many other ones. We have, I, oh my gosh, I messed up the, the, the number last time, so I didn't, I cut it out of the episode. Last episode was the episode from hell, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> but, so, if you want to go listen to the previous episodes, I won't put a number of this one, because honestly, I can't remember. I don't know if it's 25 or 26, 24. It's not 24, it's either 25 or 26. But there are so many other episodes you can listen to. You can... Find them on, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher. But my goal, my goal. Um, you can find them wherever you find your podcasts. I'm finding, like, I find all the time, I, I look up Play Repertory Podcasts because I'm narcissistic and I see, like, all these other places, like, that have it on there, like Anchor, or, like, Listen Notes or something like that. Like, ever you find your podcasts, you can find them, uh, find it there. And you can tell your friends about it. Tell your friends who are who are interested in playwriting, storytelling, stagecraft. Um, you can tell them about the, uh, about the show. Sarah's giving me a weird look for the way I said stagecraft. But you can tell them about the show and then you'll give it a listen. Um, if, yeah, if you enjoy it, tell, tell your friends about it. Tell your family about yeah. it. Anyone who's interested in playwriting and storytelling. Please ask people to listen. Let's not keep this a little secret, guys. <laughs> yeah, this is not a little secret. But um, yeah, and if you have a uh, play that you've been kicking around, you've been working on style, you've recently changed to Garamond and anything but Papyrus, <laughs> then you can submit it at our website. Sarah, what is our website? Our website is www. 
playreppod.com or just playreppod.com. That is true. I can remember that because it's really easy. Yeah. Or you can submit to uh, directly using our tiny URL dot. Or you can go on our website and they also have. Or you can go on our website. But if you're really old school, what is the uh, what is the website link, Sarah? Tiny URL. Did I already screwed up? Tiny URL slash PRP submit dot com. Oh, man. Tinyurl.com slash PRP submit. Ah, damn. Don't forget your dot coms and your addresses. That's where they get you. Yeah. Go check out our website. We have a whole bunch of info there. Um, there, that's also like, has some of our contact info. You want to contact us, talk about an episode, something, whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, literally if you have a play and you just want to hear it with some people, um, and have also, this is can serve as like a keepsake. Like you'll always have this, this is on the internet. So like, if you want to ever hear it out loud or just something to show your grandma, like let's do it. Um, yeah. So yeah, please submit to us. We would love to read your play. And Mitchell, do you have any final thoughts? I do. I do. For the love of God and all that is holy and, I guess, deist in this case, um, do not use papyrus. Papyrus. Don't use it. Don't use it. Don't use it. Don't use papyrus. Don't use papyrus. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.